investors to the Absolute Return Podcast, your source for stock market analysis, global macro musings, and hedge fund investment strategies. Your hosts, Julian Klamachko and Michael Kesslering, aim to bring you the knowledge and analysis you need to become a more intelligent and wealthier investor. This episode is brought to you by Accelerate Financial Technologies. Accelerate, because performance matters. Find out more at accelerateshares.com. Welcome, ladies and gents, to episode 49 of the Absolute Return Podcast. I'm your host, Julian Klamachko. And I'm Mike Kessler. Today is January 24th, 2019. We have a number of really interesting topics to chat about this week off the top coronavirus. Now, this is not a bad beer, but a potentially deadly virus that's going around. What happened? It really roiled markets this week as the outbreak break spread throughout China and it's coming to North America. Should investors be concerned about this? Xerox plans a proxy battle to take control of rival HP. Looks like this takeover battle is heating up. What is their goal behind this proxy battle? Tesla, one of a big battleground stock between bulls and bears. Their market cap hits $100 billion to become the second most valuable auto group in the world. Why has the stock tripled over the past few months? Lastly, we'll chat some macro stuff with the Bank of Canada leaving the door open for a rate cut. What does the market think? China went into unprecedented lockdown as a fast-spreading coronavirus, this deadly pneumonia-like virus which seemingly came out of nowhere, started to wreak havoc in the country and it's slowly spreading worldwide. But China really took unprecedented action here in basically shutting down 10 massive cities with total population of 33 million put under lockdown, which is completely unprecedented. It's just crazy. Um, What happened thus far is that at least 26 people have died from the virus and over 800 cases have been confirmed in China. And there's been reports that it has hit Japan and the US. But thus far, US stock markets, global stock markets, not really taking too much of a hit. I think this is probably most comparable to the SARS outbreak, which happened uh, uh, earlier last decade between 2002 and 2003, which in fact seems to be a more deadly virus than this latest coronavirus. During the SARS epidemic, uh, more than 8,000 people were infected and around 800 people died in that crisis. So, you know, the death rate quite a bit higher and a tenfold number of people got infected. And what happened there in terms of market action, the MSCI Hong Kong underperformed by about 10%. And so that we kind of see that as more of a worst case scenario here. But in terms of this outbreak, it seems not nearly as bad as SARS, does it? Yeah, absolutely. And in terms of to go a bit further into the SARS comparable in from November 2002 to April 2003, um, as you had mentioned, the Hong Kong stock market was down in that 10, 11% range. Um, and that was up in, from kind of from November 2002 to April 2003. And really by July, so just a few months later, all of those losses were recovered. So it was a downtick and then by the time the World Health Organization had cleared Hong Kong that they had kind of revamped all these gains as well when you look at the impact from a from a GDP perspective is it did impact uh, China's GDP by five percentage points back then. Um, But then similar to the stock market, everything did snap back. It will be interesting to follow how this works in the in terms of the global markets. Now 
Right now, there is has been one of the one of the areas that there's been an impact is the luxury good makers. Um, so Chinese consumers they account for about 33% of global luxury good sales. So depending on their exposure to China, um, these goods makers will have gone down. Now LVMH they're down with the makers of Louis Vuitton uh, down about five percent in the last week. Uh, Richmond, which is Cartier, down six point four percent. The maker of Gucci curing is down six percent um, but yeah you're really just seeing Chinese equities as well down so far but as we mentioned if it does play out like SARS it's more of a short-term issue yeah and thus far really just impacting Asian markets as we indicated not much hit to North American and European stock markets however you know, there are certain segments of the market that have been affected in terms of the price action. You spoke about luxury goods producers. You are seeing uh, oil, WTI, Brent crude oil trading down over 5% this week. Uh, other commodities such as copper, as economists take down uh, global growth estimates, Chinese growth estimates. Uh, Chinese stock market tumbled 2.8% on Thursday and the yuan weakened. Uh, the other thing is we're seeing some effect in the airline stocks um you've seen some weakness there but ultimately um you know as the nerds would say this is nothing but uh, nothing burger uh but at the end of the day, it gives you time to sit back and reflect on your portfolio and just kind of make sure you're fully diversified such that if this does turn out to be something more than a quote unquote nothing burger that you're totally prepared. But, uh, you know, thus far, it's not looking like you should to make look to make any massive changes within your investment portfolio. In some corporate activism news, Xerox indicated that it plans to nominate 11 directors to HP board in a bid to take control of its competitor after several snubbed buyout offers. Now this takeover battle is really heating up here with the prospect of a proxy battle and this is really just straight out of the 1980s style hostile takeover playbook. Now, a hostile takeover, if successful, would merge two American technology, technology giants, and they've both really just seen better days, so it really seems like a cost-cutting play, a synergies play, where they're both really experiencing kind of a slow, steady decline. Certainly not growth companies here. The other interesting aspect that we have touched on in previous podcasts is the minnow swallowing the whale dynamic, such that at Xerox as a market value of about 8 billion while HP's is nearly 32 billion so the target nearly fourfold the acquire and this deal is largely being driven by activist investor Carl Icahn no stranger to these hostile takeover tactics certainly no stranger to proxy battles I mean he's been through dozens and dozens throughout his career HP not having any of it, obviously they rejected this, saying it continues to undervalue the company, but shareholders continue to like it. HP's stock continues to trade around 22 bucks per share. Xerox has all the debt financing lined up, and the goal, the underlying goal, what Xerox is trying to accomplish here is to replace HP's board of directors because they don't seem keen on engaging in a deal so they want to replace the board such that they can make a smooth path to a merger between the company so certainly really interesting dynamic here which we actually don't see very often at all 
While the proxy battle is a common tactic utilized by activist investors, we see dozens and dozens per year, from a, a corporation's perspective, you rarely see a company utilize a proxy battle to take over another company by replacing their board of directors. In fact, since 2013, we've only seen it five times in terms of a company nominating directors at another company. So a really unique situation, a takeover battle that is heating up here and just a really interesting situation. What do you think about it? Yeah, so typically I am quite sympathetic to uh, the external party in a proxy battle as you know in most situations it's it's an entrenched management team and they make a pretty compelling argument now in this situation the one little bit of sympathy I do have for uh, HP's position is that in the original bid as we had discussed previously uh, they had come up with this finance, this debt financing to uh, basically carry carry this deal over the finish line and come up with the financing needed but that really wasn't the issue like the issue was that hp thought that the, the bid undervalued them so they really still haven't addressed this core complaint that hp had with their original um with their original bid and so i guess the other aspect is that you know you have carl icon involved he's invested in both companies and as you had mentioned this is a these both of these companies are in secular decline and so what they're really trying to do is just realize some cost synergies and keep the cash cow keep some keep the cash flows coming for as long as possible really and that's what you see in mature industries is consolidation where they can really harvest those synergies create value and just it's more of a free cash flow play instead of a growth story absolutely and so in terms of the synergies they're estimated to be about uh, two billion in cost synergies but on the other side, there is believed, analysts do believe that there is a little bit of issue um, with regards to how they would integrate the, the two companies as they do have different product offerings and different pricing models. Um, so the, you know, with a $2 billion number, it makes it seem like it's just incredibly easy. It may be a little bit more involved than just, you know, mashing these two companies together. And one other aspect that this reminds me of is one of the things that's mentioned is that, you know, HP they're, and, and Xerox, their business model is in secular decline because email is being used more, you know, email being the disruptor. And really, Instead of printers. Absolutely. And this has been something that's been happening for the last 20 years or so. And what's also interesting with that is that at this point in time, now there's a disruptor of email. So messaging services such as Slack are actually disrupting their disruptor. And so my only takeaway from that is really that, you know, when you look at the stock market, there's plenty of different disruptors that are coming in to completely revamp a whole uh, business line. But in reality, this typically will move a lot slower than one expects. One one would expect that a disruptor will come in and the incumbent companies will just be completely wiped out. HP and Xerox are still multi-billion dollar companies and continue to be will continue to be for a number of years, not into you know, the future till infinity, but they still are an ongoing entity. Yeah, the other really interesting thing to keep an eye on is, so we indicated Xerox, 8 billion market cap, HP, $32 billion market cap. And so if Xerox were to actually be able to acquire HP under the current structure, it would leave a highly levered pro forma entity. We're talking about four to five times EBITDA. However, if the tables were turned, 
HP acquiring Xerox, i.e. the $32 billion company acquiring the $8 billion company, that would certainly alleviate a lot of this balance sheet pressure such that the pro forma entity would be levered less than two times EBITDA. So I think that's uh, a potential option here, but thus far, really tight lip from HP. They just sort of, uh, you know, snub the bid and say it's insufficient. They really haven't made a play to uh, utilize the so-called Pac-Man defense where you turn the tables and the target turns into the acquirer. But that's something to watch for here. And I wouldn't be surprised, frankly, if that happened. In a battle for the ages between the bulls and the bears, long investors have come out on top as a controversial electric car maker, Tesla, their stock market value has rallied threefold over the past few months to reach a stunning $100 billion. That's right, Tesla at $100 billion market cap. Now the surge in valuation has made Tesla the most valuable US automaker and second globally next to Toyota. Believe it or not, it's actually more valuable than Volkswagen and basically more than GM and Ford combined, which obviously manufacture many multiples of uh, vehicles more than Tesla does. And what the battle is here between the bulls and the bears, the longs and the shorts is basically on valuation is a big one. I mean that $100 billion, real tough to justify when it's never recorded in annual profit and produces, you know, a small fraction of the profits of its competitors. I looked at some, you know, fundamental analysis based on whether it's sales, EBITDA, I believe most auto manufacturers trade between two to four times EBITDA, extremely low valuations, and Tesla's is in like the triple digits, like north of 100 times or something crazy like that. And, and then fundamentally, I mean, it has a lot of debt as well, but nonetheless, the stock has rallied its face off up over 20% year to date. Short sellers, get this, have lost almost $3 billion in the first two weeks of the year just on this face ripping rally. What are your thoughts on this stunning $100 billion valuation on everyone's uh, favorite electric car maker? Is it uh, Tesla or Tesla Q? <laughs> yeah. And so I, I've been on the podcast here before discussing um, my overall negative view of the business model, which I still would agree with. I mean, when you look at the actual fundamentals, the issue for short sellers is that, that the actual business fundamentals aren't what's actually driving the stock here. I mean, it's, it's not a high growth company. Um, you know, it's kind of expected with revenue uh, year over year here, it'll, it'll grow at 13%. So it's not a high growth company anymore, but for shorts, they, their main thesis has really been that insolvency. So moving into 2019, that was really the main focus. It was the story was supply constraints um, as well as insolvency from the company that basically their losses were going to catch up to them and they had a dwindling cash balance. But the big the big difference now is that they've raised a ton of external capital. And so that really has negated, obviously losses do matter over the long term, but in the short term, if they're able to sustain those losses by introducing new capital into their org into their cap structure that really pushes out the timeline that they can have to execute right and shorts were onto something because ceo elon musk has admitted in the past that it has been very close to bankruptcy uh, just due to its losses and access to capital which appears to not be an issue at this point absolutely and so when you're looking at 
you know, the, the whole short thesis is what I'm seeing on kind of the Tesla Q side to be a little bit critical is that they, they're now experiencing a lot of uh, thesis drift where now the thesis has changed for their short position. You know, if you look at short interest, it peaked in, you know, over 30% in 2019, but it's still around 18%. So still a lot of people short this, this name and really getting their faces ripped off yeah. right now. The other thing to note is that there are converts outstanding. So some of the short interest is related uh, just on that convertible bond arbitrage trade where they're long the converts short the stock. Yeah, that's a great point. And really all, I, all I'm intending to say here is that when your thesis isn't playing out, now this wasn't a position of Accelerate nor, nor my own, but when your thesis isn't playing out, it's time to take a look at what your underlying thesis is and not just jumping to something else that aligns with your worldview. You really have to take an unemotional look at the situation. And when I look at Tesla as a company, I see the bulls and bears as both being very emotional about this right. about this topic. It's a big no-no. You never want to be emotional about a stock. No, and that's a situation that you really don't want to be involved in from either side, in my opinion, when both sides are somewhat irrational, not letting fundamentals uh, move the stock. Right, exactly. And it's all about fundamentals. And what I caution both bulls and bears on Tesla is that this is a story stock. In fact, it's the definition of a story stock. And by story stock, this refers to the the fact that the stock is completely isolated from the underlying business. They're completely different things. Tesla the stock and Tesla the company are, aren't related at all. There's no correlation between the two. Obviously, the business faces its issues. It has product issues, um, d potential demand and production issues, uh, fundamental capitalization issues, etc. However, the stock has just been on fire because as you indicated, it's turned cultish. There's these, um, you know, radical longs who uh, buy at any price, right? And then to make it worse, you have this sort of sort of short squeeze dynamic such that the higher it goes, the more that the short sellers need to buy it back because they're facing these uh, punishing losses, which creates just really this feedback loop of uh, the stock just going up and up and up, irrespective of underlying business performance. So I always caution when people are looking to short stocks, never short a story stock that is unrelated to underlying business uh, principles. And then valuation, in addition, is never solely uh, the only thing you should be shorting on because you know, if uh, a valuation is 10x too high, there's nothing preventing it from going up another two to three to four to five x, which we've seen on Tesla. I saw a very good short report when it first IPO'd and the stock was at $30 and look, and it's gone up 20x since then. So I really caution investors on going short story stock. It's kind of one of our rules here. We like uh, to short stocks that are sort of circling the drain on their way to zero. Uh, and so uh, a skyrocketing stock is nothing that you want to be putting in your short book because in my opinion, that's just playing with fire. We'll finish off with some macro stuff with the Bank of Canada leaving the door open for a potential interest rate cut this year. Now, they had a meeting this year in which they chose to keep their policy rate steady at 1.75%, which has been the status quo for a while now. But Governor Stephen Paulos, he turned a bit dovish this week as he indicated that weaker economic growth in Q4 could lead to a rate cut in 2020 should this sluggishness continue into this year. 
What's interesting is we looked at the market expectations that's priced into the futures market actually rose uh, for a rate cut in 2020. Uh, expectations of a rate cut uh, by December of 2020 went up from 50% to 80%. So the market thinking that a rate cut this year went from a coin flip to highly probable. Got a quote here from Governor Paulos. He indicated, I'm not saying that the door's not open to an interest rate cut. Obviously it is. It is open, but it hinges on how the data evolve from here. We have a strong belief that this will prove temporary, but temporary could be longer or shorter. And to the extent that it's longer, we would have to come back to that decision to decide then whether or not the interest rate as it is today remains appropriate. So there you have it, a quote from Governor Paulos, but the thing is he's kind of kicking the can down the road here because he is actually retiring and out as Bank of Canada governor this summer. So perhaps he's putting this big decision on his successor. Yeah, absolutely. And with that being on his successor, it is an official, there is some some grumblings about who it will be, uh, but it is an official who that individual will be at this point in time, so it's really difficult to handicap um, what's going to happen in the future with it. an entire regime change. Is the Polo's Bank of Canada is very data dependent and you know looking at the factors as looking at the data as it comes in. And there really is no reassurance, you know, if the if his successor will engage with their policy decisions in the exact same manner. So it's a really tough coin flip here, like whether whether there will be any sort of cut in the in this year. Right. And what is the goal of a rate cut? Well, lowering interest rates, number one, weakens the Canadian dollar, which Paulus does not like to see come up. And perhaps that's why he had some dovish language, because that did cause the Canadian dollar to trade down and ultimately a weaker currency gives, you know, domestic economy, domestic producers uh, quite the boost. And so on this news, we saw the loony trade down about a half a percent on this dovishness from Governor Paulos and basically the Bank of Canada looking like a rate cut is in the cards for later this year and uh, we shall see. And that's it, ladies and gents, for episode 49 of the Absolute Return podcast. If you want to check out more, you can visit absolutereturnpodcast.com. And please give us a follow and check us out on social media on Twitter. I am the People's Hedge Fund Manager. That is at jklimochko, J-K-L-Y-M-O-C-H-K-O. And you are? And my handle is M underscore Kesslering. That's K-E-S-S-L-E-R-I-N-G. And we wish you the best of luck in your trading, speculating, and investing this week. And we'll chat with you soon. Cheers. Thanks for tuning in to the Absolute Return Podcast. This episode was brought to you by Accelerate Financial Technologies. Accelerate, because performance matters. Find out more at accelerateshares.com. The views expressed in this podcast are the personal views of the participants and do not reflect the views of Accelerate. No aspect of this podcast constitutes investment, legal, or tax advice. Opinions expressed in this podcast should not be viewed as a recommendation or solicitation of an offer to buy or sell any securities or investment strategies. The information and opinions in this podcast are based on current market conditions and may fluctuate and change in the future. No representation or warranty, expressed or implied, is made on behalf of Accelerate. As to the accuracy or completeness of the information contained in this podcast, Accelerate does not accept any liability for any direct, indirect, or consequential loss or damage suffered by any person as a result of relying on all or any part of this podcast, and any liability is expressly disclaimed.